0: All right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Timeout Talk. We're your hosts, Raphael Singer. And Hunter Leon. And for us, it's final season, but the NBA season is still going on. Uh, so there's a lot to talk about. A bunch of big news happened over the past week. So let's start with the Indiana Pacers, you know, Hunter's favorite team after the Lakers. Um, and there's some big news that coming out of the front office that they've decided to sort of change direction and are looking to blow things up. Uh, looking for trades involving Karis LeVert, Miles Turner, or DeMond Bonus. And so we have a bunch of potential trades listed out, and I know you wanted to talk about Miles Turner's comments on the whole situation. So first of all, what are your general, like, thoughts on this change of direction?
1: Yeah, honestly, this is probably best-case scenario for the Pacers as an organization. They've been, I guess, like, I'd equate them to, like, the Blazers of the East, as in, like, they've been the perennial, like, seven, eight seed-ish. I mean, the Blazers have been better than them, but I think that's the closest comparison I can think of, like, a team who hasn't really had that success. Um, And I guess, yeah, this core just isn't working for them, especially this year. We can see this was their last attempt, and it just didn't go right. So they can get a lot out of their players, especially for the contracts that these guys have. A lot of them are on steals and contracts. I mean, Miles Turner is being paid $18 million. spellness is being paid also $18 million, And those are both great contracts for them. Uh, so I think their actually highest-paid player is Malcolm Brogdon, who's untradeable as of right now. But um, I think Miles Turner had a really interesting take on this whole situation. Uh, like you said, I was going to talk about he, he really wants a bigger role as a player, just like in general. He feels like he can do more. He feels he can prove he's just more than a glorified role player. That, those are his exact words. He said, I'm more than a glorified role player. And he wants to be the star big. And he said, No hate to DeMonte Simonis. I love him. He's my brother. But, you know, I, I want my bigger role. And, you know, I, I feel the NBA should, or the Pacers need to respect that. And they did by saying they're going to trade one of the two of them.
0: Yeah. Um, Just commenting on the the overall shift in direction. I think that this is honestly for the best, as you said. I think that when you have a team who's sort of stuck in this mediocre spot and there's no hope of even getting better, because at least like for the Blazers, if they make the right moves, they can become a contender because they do have Damian Lillard. You know, that's a top 10 player right there. But for the Pacers – They're just always going to be lingering in that mediocrity, that eighth seed type spot. And it sort of reminds me of the Orlando Magic a couple years ago, back when they had Vucevic, and they were just making the eighth seed every time and just getting swept or winning one game. Um, I think the difference
1: between this team and that team, though, is this team has way more talent that they can expend. That team only had Nikola Vucevic and Aaron Korsh.
0: Hey, I mean, they had DJ Augustine. He had a game winner on the Raptors. The championship-winning Toronto Raptors in twenty nineteen.
1: Okay, but my point is, these 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 guys on this team are going to be a lot more sought after by a general amount of the league. Like, there's going to be real competition for these players.
0: Sure, but I'm saying it's like there's no real bona fide star on either of those teams. You're not mm. having like a consensus top twenty, top ten type player on oh, either. One hundred percent.
1: I mean, unless we're talking about Demontis Sabonis, then he, <laughs> okay. he's he, he's zero. He's better than one. Right, I
0: mean, of course, of course.
1: I guess Um, it's not fair.
0: But, yeah, I mean, just talking about Miles Turner really quick, I don't know if he can be that guy. Because, like, in all seriousness, I don't think he's a better offensive player than DeMontis Sabonis. DeMontis Sabonis is a way better post player. Like, he's honestly one of the top post players in the game, I would say. Um, And Miles Turner's offensive game is sort of limited. Like, he's a pretty decent stretch big, but that's about it, you know? Like, I wouldn't trust him to run my offense through him. Um, I think he's a terrific defender, much better than DeMondis Savonis, for sure. Like, I'm pretty sure he's leading the league in blocks per game right now. And he, he's always going to be in those defensive player, of the con- defensive player of the year conversations. But whether he's going to be that guy, you know, the, the franchise leader, like the, the face of your franchise for the Pacers, I think that's questionable.
1: Well, I think what he was more so saying is he just doesn't want to be stuck out in the three-point line on offense. He wants to have more of an offensive role, which if you're saying he just don't think he can carry anymore, that's understandable. But I think it's worth a shot, like, for no matter what team he ends up on, if he stays or if he leaves. Just try it out for a few games. Put him, like, in more, I guess, the mid-post area if that's where he wants to be just for a little bit. Not for every possession. You're going to have him on the three-point line where he needs to be sometimes. But you let him take it in, and if it, it's working, then why stop it? But if it's not working, just say, hey, man, not your rule.
0: I mean, here's the thing, though. We're going to get into some of these trades in a second. Any trade that you're going to make for Miles Turner, he's going to be like your fourth, your third, fourth, fifth best player. You're not going to be running your offense through him. He's going to be a complementary piece. And the reason you're trading for him is because he's basically the big equivalent of a 3 and D guy. He's a rim protector, he's a great shot blocker, and he's a stretch big. That's it. You're not getting him for his mid-post mid player or his yeah, like you're right. horrific low post footwork. You know what I'm saying? Yeah.
1: So I think I guess I made the mistake of thinking that, but if he stays and DeMontis Sabonis is gone, there's no reason he can't just do whatever he wants because this team's gonna be absolute garbage. Like that's that's the real real scenario. If he leaves. I think he'll be happy either way because he'll be on the contender because no team who isn't a contender is going to be traded for him.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I think, though, that, yeah, like, if, say, they ship out DeMontis Sabonis and Karis LeVert and TJ Warren and it's just Mal- or it's just Miles Turner and a bunch of, like, young guys, then, yeah, he might average 20 and 10, you know? Like, he, he might just be in that sort of Jeremy Grant role where it's, like, a pretty good player with not a lot of talent around him just gets to put up a bunch of numbers. Yeah. Um, Speaking of Jeremy Garrett really quick, unfortunate news. He's out for the season with a back – I think it's a back injury. I'm not sure what it is. But he's out for the season, and it's really unfortunate. He was having a really good season. He was averaging above 20 points. Um, Big blow for the Pistons, but, yeah, it is unfortunate.
1: Yeah, I mean, you never want to see a guy like that go down. I mean, just – you don't want to see anybody in the league go down, that's for sure. But, I mean, this doesn't really, like – Game-changing news for any anybody right, in the league.
0: Right. It's just unfortunate. Yeah. Um. But let's get let's get into some of these trades real quick because a lot of these are really enticing and I know you have some some strong opinions on some of these. So first off, this one is between the Chicago Bulls and the Pacers. Uh. So this one involves Derek Jones Jr. and in a in a first-round pick for T.J. Warren. So what are your thoughts? This trade, I
1: just don't see why the Chicago would do this. I mean, if if you're the The Pacers, you're getting, you're just removing a guy from your team who got injured, had a big injury, out for a whole over a season. He hasn't played since really the bubble, and what do you get in return? You get basically a draft pick. You don't care about draft picks, so you're like, sure, we'll take a first round pick. If if you're the Bulls, why are you gonna take the chance on the guy who could be instant offense, but who knows? Because he hasn't played
0: since Clay, basically since Clay Thompson was playing. (laughs)
1: Like
0: that's. Because he's going to be another offensive weapon in a true wing. Because here's the thing,
1: but you don't know that you you don't know what he's going to look like after injury, and not only that, it but Derek matter. Jones Jr. Derek Jones Jr. is giving you somewhat significant production, and you don't know what you're getting out of T.J. Warren, and you're also giving up a draft pick.
0: Even if here's the thing, the Bulls they want to go all in. it's not it's not it's very rare for a team like this the, the draft pick doesn't matter. They're making the playoffs. It's not going to be a valuable pick. They want to go all in because they have a serious shot of contending this year. Brooklyn doesn't look like they like that they're going to be a real contender because of just the Kyrie Irving situation, and just how they've looked. The Bucks are weak and you know can't stay healthy, and the East is pretty much open at this point. So why not go all in? The pick doesn't really matter. And then in terms of TJ Warren, yes, we haven't seen him in a long time. However, even if he comes back 80%, 70%, that's still going to be like a 12 to 14 point per game score and that's a guy – that's a that's a true wing, which this team really lacks. Like, you have DeMar DeRozan. You have Zach Levine. But those aren't real wings. I mean, they're like – they're more like twos, in my opinion. They can run the three sometimes, but that's kind of small. But TJ Warren is real wing. And I think that he just – he could provide instant offense off the bench. And, yes, Derek Jones Jr. has been a pretty good player for them. And so you would be losing on some of his defense, but – He's a real wing. He's also a real wing. I know, but he's not really an offensive threat. Like, no, yeah, but he has – he. We're talking about
1: on the defensive end. He he has the, the length that T.J. Warren lacks, and you're giving up offense or defense. And I think this team this team has been one of the best defensive le- teams in the league, and they're really good at running out in transition with Lonzo Ball and getting in the open court. and by giving T.J. or by g- getting T.J. Warren and giving up Derek Jones Jr. You're giving up a lot of that opportunity to catch balls out in the passing lanes and run the ball in the open court and you're going to get a much slower pace of play, which is not good for a team led by Lonzo Ball on offense.
0: I don't think so, because I don't think that the minutes where Derrick Jones Jr. and, like, you know, I guess the, the team that's really pushing a transition really have a lot of overlap. I think TJ Warren is a guy who, like, for the bench unit, you don't really have a guy you can go to on Chicago who you're, like, you give the ball to and you need a bucket, you know? Who is going gonna to be that guy, you know? So – it's hard to think, right? Yeah. You're like,
1: mm-hmm. Trying to think you know, of the guys in the Bulls. I mean, like,
0: the, I, I
1: think the Bulls don't really, like, pull a full bench unit you know, out. They kind of just yeah, they leave spread some their out their guys. guys.
0: Yeah. Levine out there, Damar. And so this just gives them more scoring depth. And I think it's a good move. You're not losing out on too much. And so I would, I would think this is a good trade for both teams because, you know, the Pacers get a younger guy and Derek Jones get a first-round pick, and it just fits their timeline better. So... I'm I'm actually a pretty big fan of this trade.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm you make a convincing argument. but I'm like pretty 50 on it still.
0: All right, sure. We right. you
1: you you've increased my you've increased my odds to like not sure. But before I was like a hard no. So
0: I, I okay. see the argument. I'll take that. So, yeah. um, yeah. Let's move on to the next trade now. So this one involves the Sacramento Kings. So we got Marvin Bagley the third, Tyrese Halliburton, and two first-round picks. For Demontis Sabonis, your favorite player. So yes,
1: uh, this is an absolute steal. If you are the Kings, I mean, like you're basically getting the goat for somebody who hasn't played in like real minutes since he was a rookie in Tyrese Halliburton. So, I mean, like, this isn't fair. No, <laughs> no but in all seriousness, uh, I think this is a fine trade. I wouldn't say this is great. I think, I feel like this is probably one of the better packages that the like the Pacers would receive, they get two firsts from the Kings, a team who isn't going to be very good. I think it's something like top 10 protected, but are the Kings going to be t- uh, like bottom 10 teams in the league with DeMontis and Darren Fox? Probably not. So you could get a maybe a lottery pick, but more likely at like a mid-tier pick. And uh, you're just getting guys who are going to play garbage minutes. Now, if if you're the Kings, on the other hand, you're just trying to make the playoffs. Like, that's what you do, you're you doing by getting DeMontis Sabonis. You're trying to be a mid-tier team and just kind of scrape along the bottom of, of the playoffs, which, you know, I don't really see it as a win for the Kings by any means. Like, I feel like they have something solid going with Tyrese Halliburton, and they could actually get a solid young core. One thing they do lack, though, is a center-slash-power for it. So they, if they get DeMontis Sabonis, bonus, they do get that.
0: Yeah, I mean... I think this trade is actually pretty good for the Kings. Like, I think they need all the talent they can get. Um, And I think the Marvin Bagley project has sort of failed. And I would love to see Marvin Bagley in a different environment because, you know, how often do we see these guys who are like really struggling start to thrive when they just get a new environment? Like I think of Markel Fultz, you know, really struggling in Philadelphia, moves to Orlando and looks like a whole new player. So I think this would be a good move for Marvin Bagley as a player. The Pacers, I think they could get a little more out of this, in, to be honest, because the M- Sabonis – Actually, no, I not You're getting two firsts. Yeah, two, two firsts first is pretty good. Good first, too, because, like,
1: you're, you're getting two firsts, and you know you're getting a, a good point guard, too. This isn't like a guy who you're like, I'm not sure if he's going to be good. This is a, a very young, good talent in the league, in uh, yeah, Terry's I mean, Halliburton.
0: And if you're the Kings, it's not like the Montes Sabonis is like a super old guy, he's only 25. So in terms of fitting the timeline, like De'Aaron Fox is 23. So it's like he could also just be a part of that young core now and, and really fit the timeline. And I think if you're the Kings, you have to be open to trading one of your guards because this Davion Mitchell, De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese Halberd three-headed monster type thing, I don't think that's really sustainable in the long term. So I I I like this trade too. I won't lie. Mm-hmm.
1: If you're the Kings, and if you make this move, do you also try to make another move for Buddy?
0: Yeah, but I think that that's gonna be an an inevitable move, um, just because yeah. I think they need more size on that team. Because yeah, You can't. Yeah. Go oh,
1: ahead. I was just gonna say this is a trade where no matter what you do, you can't move Buddy. He's just got too big of a contract. It doesn't make sense.
0: I mean, in this trade.
1: Yeah, I'm saying if you want to try and move Buddy in, in for Demonte Sabonis, it doesn't make sense because he he has a bigger contract than Demonte Sabonis, and he's a worse player, so it wouldn't work out.
0: Yeah, I'm just saying like. I think that, you know, they they are going to move Buddy Heald just because, like, look, I think that they just have too many guards on this team and they could really use some more size. Like, their starting center is Rashawn Holmes, and I like Rashawn Holmes. He's a good player, but, you know, imagine getting DeMontis Sabonis, and then, like, a, a proper power four or a proper center, actually, to run alongside him. That's a good lineup. I won't lie. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I think that would be, like, I don't know where that puts them in the West, though. This is a weaker Western Conference this year. I think that could put them in, like, a a six-seed kind of area, but I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, it it all depends, I feel like, as well on and Fox. He's been having a down year, so if he could step it up and start.
1: I I feel like if he plays, like, a a guy like Devonta Savonis who would open up the floor for him and be, like, a pass-first big, that would help him out.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Um, Let's move on. Talking about size, this next trade involves two bigs, um, one on the Warriors, one on the Pacers, and this one is for James Wiseman and Jonathan Kaminga for Miles Turner. So what are we thinking about this?
1: This scares me so much because it's a little bit of an overpay for Miles Turner. What you're doing if you're the Warriors is you're going, look, we'll give you our James Wiseman, our our number two overall pick. We'll give you our other lottery pick in – uh jonathan Kuminga will give you our seventh pick and our f- second pick all you got to give us is miles Turner. and if you're the pacers you're not worried about the warriors being a- an incredible team for the next few years because hey you're going to be rebuilding and this is a good package for you so you'll you can do this trade no problem now where does that re- leave the rest of the league crying tears running down the face of every gm because the Warriors have now gotten the best center they possibly can for their style of play, and their defense would shoot up to number one. I wouldn't be surprised if they had the or if they had Miles Turner, they could be the number one offense and defense in the league. I truly believe that.
0: I'm gonna push back on this. I'm gonna because initially I agreed, but then I started thinking about this and look, how old is Steph Curry? Let's look that 33? up. Thirty-three. I think he's like yeah. How? Old? I'm gonna say thirty-three. He's thirty three. That is correct. Yeah. He's thirty three. Clay's getting up there in age. Dre is getting up there in age, and I think the Warriors' philosophy is a pretty smart one. They're sort of following in the the, 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 of the San Antonio Spurs and getting young talent alongside your stars, so that when your older guys and your vets, the guys who brought you to the promised land, start to age and you know start to fall out of the league, then your young guys are the new stars. And we've seen this process start to work out for them. We see this in guys like Jordan Poole, you know, um, what's it called? Like on the name. Anyway, they think that's going like, to be interesting. Yeah, I mean, they have a lot of young guys on that team, like Gary Payton. I mean, Andrew Wing is not young anymore, but like he sort of fits more in the younger side of the timeline rather than – He'd be on
1: team. the – he's on the same timeline as
0: Miles Turner. But the, the, the thing is, though, is that – James Wiseman and Jonathan Kaminga have incredibly high ceilings. Like these are guys we have seen glimpses of Wiseman and Kaminga has been in the G League a lot, but these guys have all-star potential. And so you're going to just throw all of that away for miles Turner. Like I think James Wiseman, when he comes back, he's going to be very good. I think he's going to be a, a good center. that really doesn't have to do too much, especially when clay Thompson comes back. So if I'm the worst, I wouldn't just throw all of that away, all that potential away Just for a minor upgrade, I don't think Miles Turner is that much better than James Wiseman. And I don't think he, like, I don't think it's worth losing out on all that potential opportunity.
1: Well, I I understand where you're coming from. At the same time, getting Miles Turner on this team essentially secures you a ring. And there's no way you can say you secure a ring. But it, like, puts you, like, in such good position if you're the Warriors – they, the, Steph Curry has never played with a true good center like that. I mean, he's never – especially a floor-spacing center. Um, this is a guy who's going to block shots. The one thing the Warriors lack is size. The Teams can take advantage of the Warriors sometimes. If the Warriors aren't beating you out from the three-point line, you can keep a center in there. And Draymond's a great defender, but he gives up too much size. If you get a guy, a seven-footer like Miles Turner, who does everything that like Draymond can do but just a bigger guy – that's that's scary, man.
0: The thing, though, is that, like, the Warriors have never needed a, a, a true big because their philosophy is all about small ball, push the pace, shoot the three ball. And but they,
1: they're still like that. They can still play exactly like that with Miles Turner, and that's what changes.
0: Miles Turner is only going to slow them down. I mean, he would just slow down the pace of the game, you know. You're not going to be able to run. Like, a, a lot of the times, when I was, I was watching the Philadelphia um, Warriors game, and, you know – they were running lineups out there when Joel Embiid was on the floor with like five guards or like uh, five smaller players in like three guards. And so this is who the Warriors are. They don't need a big center. Look, they're already the number one team in the West without Klay Thompson, without Wiseman. And I I, I just want to
1: clarify something really quickly. Um, Who won in the game between Philly and Golden State? Let's just clear. clear. Let's just talk about that for a second. You didn't, you didn't say who won that game. The, okay. the Philly won that game. So you can say, yeah, they're, they're running a lineup with five guys, but if they're not winning, then what does it matter?
0: Okay, but imagine – okay, but guess what? They have a center who's going to come back. So if they want to get some size in there, they would have James Wiseman to, to be that guy. And the thing is he wouldn't have to do too much. He wouldn't have to guard because the Warriors run a lot of zone. So he wouldn't have to, like, go one-on-one against Joel Embiid, you know, or like Giannis if we're looking at that. But look, all I'm saying is that the the potential of Wiseman and Kaminga is so great. Like, these are two guys who could be, you know, all-stars five years down the line. And so you're just going to throw that away just to get marginally better? I don't think that's a good deal.
1: I disagree, but we can move on to the next one, um, which is Dwight Powell, Josh Green, and a 2024 first-round pick for Karis Levert. And this is to the Mavs. So, what are your thoughts on this? The Mavs are going to get a guy who's going to be a secondary ball handler um, to help out Luca. And I guess the, the Pacers are just going to get some some fill.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think Josh Green, like, he's obviously a younger guy drafted. Um, I don't know, was he drafted? 2018? 2020, actually. Dang. So, okay. So he's, he's pretty recent. Yeah. And he doesn't have a huge role in this team because he is such a young guy. And so I think as a, if you're the Mavs, you're not losing out on too much. I think the biggest loss here is honestly that first round pick because Dwight Powell, he's your backup center. I mean, he, he starts sometimes, but like he's not really a significant piece of this team. Um, and you're getting a guy in Bird who's going to really ease in the ball handling load off Luca. He's going to be another scoring threat. And I think it really is going to be beneficial. The only question with this uh, deal is if the Pacers like it, because I think it's more oriented toward the Mavs. And I don't know if the Pacers feel like they're getting enough for a guy um, like Karis But I would, I think this is a good trade, though, for the Mavs.
1: Oh, yeah, for the Mavs, this is definitely a good trade. I agree. Um, I think that the Pacers can probably get a little more out of the LeVert. He arguably has the most stock of any guy on the team. I think you can make that argument. Even though DeMontis is such a great player and he has been an all-star, I think there's more upside that can still be discovered in Karis LeVert. So I don't know. There could be a team out there who might want it a little more bad than that. You know, like, yeah, I guess you're getting Josh Green, a guy who's young and a first-round pick. But, like, do you care about Dwight Powell? You're going to need some more young talent. If, you are the, if you're the Pacers, you're going to want more than that one pick. You might ask for two picks.
0: Yeah, I mean, and then I think two picks is a little excessive for Karis LeVert, but... but or
1: maybe like a first round and the second round. Like the, they might have to like just ask for more because I don't think that's enough. But I do think this would actually get Luca the help he really needs. I think this would increase like the, the biggest problem I'd say the Maps have is that since Luca has no help, he just gets so exhausted by the fourth quarter and he can't finish the game out because it's just, like, too much to bear. But if you've got, like, Karis LeVert who can bail you out, like, in the middle of the game, like, just ease the load on Luca, then you can finish out games a lot stronger.
0: Yeah, this this deal feels like when the Mavs dealt for uh, Josh Richardson. Like, this was – Karis LeVert is sort of, like, better Josh Richardson. You know, he's a guy who can handle the ball, pass, decent on defense, and can score the ball really well. And But, like, the Josh Richardson Richardson thing obviously never really worked out. Uh, but I think this one would because Kara Silver is way more proven. And we've seen him do it both in Brooklyn and in Indiana. So, I like this deal. But I think yeah. we've talked about the Pacers enough. Let's, uh, let's move on. Let's talk about the Jazz over in the West. So, they're on a seven-game win streak. They're looking hot. They're creeping up on that one seed. I mean – they're only three games behind the the one seed of Phoenix Suns. So, what do you what do we think about this Jazz win streak?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the Jazz are showing that just like what we've seen historically from them, which is they're a good team, like they're a one seed caliber team. Um, I mean, the only real question is like their playoff success. Can they like successfully make a plan that like counters what teams are going to put out? Because in in the playoffs teams always expose Rudy Gobert as a player that can draw out. And then once you draw him out, you can score. But can can the Jazz come up with a strategy that eliminates that weakness? I think that's the one big problem they're going to have. Um, I think Jordan Clarkson has been playing a little bit better since he started, but he's still having a little bit of a down year. A lot of the guys are in the league. Um, but, I mean, they're second in points per game fourth and rebounds per game. Um, so they're doing pretty good. And their defense is also a pretty top tier. I mean, obviously they have Rudy Gobert, who's going to be in defense of the player of the year conversations
0: every single year.
1: Um, I, like I said, I just think it comes down to postseason success for
0: them. I would agree with that. I think that um, this run has really been powered by Donovan Mitchell. He's been playing great, you know, multiple 30 plus point games. And has looked like, you know, the all-star we know he is. And I want to give another shout out to Hassan Whiteside, who had some pretty good games during this win streak, looking like a straight monster, looking like the guy that everyone thought was going to be the guy when he was uh, coming up in Miami. But yeah, I think that the Jazz, like we knew that this win streak was coming. They might end the season as the one seed. Like our prediction might end up being true that they end the season as a one seed, just because this is a very deep team. They have so much talent not a lot of guys are injury prone and when they're clicking like this team just gets rolling in the regular season as you said it comes down to postseason success but I mean this this was really the least surprising thing I've ever seen like the Jazz are winning a bunch of games in the regular season like what else is new the sky is blue cool
1: oh by the way I just thought of this and this is really random but speaking of like Hassan Whiteside it made me think of like JaVel McGee why is JaVale McGee balling out so hard on the Phoenix Suns? Why is he getting like 20 and 15, 20, 20 games on like an almost nightly basis right now?
0: <laughs> I don't know what's what's up with JaVale McGee, but once he got the Phoenix, he just turned to a different breed. I he he went th- back to the Nuggets, JaVale McGee. No, he wasn't even as good in Denver. Like, <laughs> let, let me pull up a stat really quick. Um yeah, JaVel McGee is averaging 24 points per game, 17 rebounds on 66% shooting per 36 minutes, obviously. But, like, still, that's that's insane. He's been really going off.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's doing his job for them. I mean, he's just – honestly, like, JaVale McGee is a probably a top-tier backup center in the league. As far as, like, backups go, he's going to give you instant, like, energy. He's going to get some blocks. He's going to get some crazy dunks. And he fits really well in the Suns team. Sorry, that was kind of just a tangent.
0: We <laughs> yeah, always got to bring up DeVille. Love that, man. Yeah. Um, but let's, let's talk about the NBA more generally now. So we were talking about this before the podcast. So, like, the NBA has felt kind of off this season. Like, a lot of stars are not really looking like themselves across the league. And so there's a number of potential explanations for this. It could be the new ball that they're using. Could be the rule changes surrounding, you know, fouls and how those are called, especially when shooting? Or is it even something else, uh, like maybe COVID um, or things along those lines? So what, what are your thoughts on this?
1: Um, I think it's a mix of the new ball and the rule changes. I'm not sure if it's anything else, but, like, uh, let me just, like, name a list of stars that are, like, not looking like themselves. We have it here, Bradley Beal, James Harden, Anthony Davis, even Luca a little bit. Trey Young started off really slow. Any others you want to add to that? Those were just five that came off my head. Dame, oh my God, Dame's a massive one. CJ
0: also having a down year. Um, Yeah, I mean, guys, you named like they're starting to find form. Trey Young's been playing amazing recently. Yeah,
1: I said Trey Young, but also Trey Young. There's there's an interesting statistic I found on Trey Young comparing him to James Harden, um, like in how they've transitioned. So last year, without the rule changes. Trey Young was averaging the same amount of attempts from the field as he was from the free throw line. This year, he's doubled his attempts from the field as opposed to the free throw line. And that's not because the rule changes, but because the, this shot selection he has, whereas James Harden is still taking an equal number of attempts and shots from the free throw line because he isn't changing his game. I know it's a lot harder for James Harden to change because he's been doing it for so long, but Trey Young has proven that he can really adjust pretty easily this year, which is showing in the success of the Hawks now. Um, But uh, for all the other stars, these guys aren't so young, so it's hard for them to make that adjustment.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I think a lot of stars have looked sort of flat and haven't really looked like themselves. And I think, I mean, chief among them has to be James Harden. This guy isn't looking like the superstar we know him to be. He's looking like an all-star, but, like, you know, not the same player at all. And I think a big part of it is, like, you you can't really understate – The impact of these rule changes. So many guys, namely James Harden, have really just like based their game around drawing these fouls and like sort of lived and died at the free throw line. So when you take away like say half of those calls that they used to be getting, it's going to have a big impact not only on like their production, but also on their mentality. You know, like they're like, I'm sure James Harden before every game last season and the seasons prior would come out and like, oh yeah, I'm going to score 30 plus tonight. I'm going to score like, I could go for 50 because he knows that he has like 20 points in the bag guaranteed because he just draws those fouls. But now that they're not calling those anymore, he has to really fight and scrap for every call and every free throw. And I think like the season high for points scored came yesterday when KD scored 51 against Atlanta. And I think that just goes to show how much more stars have to fight for their buckets now because of the lack of calls. Like last season, we saw 50 being dropped, like, every other night, basically. Curry was dropping 60 nightly basis, So I honestly like it a little more because it, sh- it makes the game more, like, gritty. You know, players really have to fight for their buckets and can't just get these ticky-tacky fouls that just slow the game down and are not fun to watch.
1: Yeah, it feels a little more like the early 2000s again. Like, as far yeah. as the grape goes, I which I, I really enjoy. Um, one thing I, I was going to say about James Harden again – is James Harden is now averaging the lowest points per game and the lowest efficiency around the board since he had started, like, since the first year he started as a player. That's pretty insane. I mean, the last time, I think it's, like, since 2013. It's, like, eight years. It's the lowest numbers for James Harden in eight years. Um, And another guy who we were going to talk about, Bradley Beal, he's averaging the lowest points he's had for five years and the lowest field goal percentage for three or for six years and the lowest 3 point percentage of his career. Do you think that's due to the new ball? Do you think that's due, due to the rule changes? He was never really a foul beat kind of guy. So do you think it's just like the new team? What do you think it could be?
0: That's hard for Bradley Beal. Cause you know, we've known this guy to be like one of the best scores in the league year in, year out. And for him to be struggling this much, it's hard to say really, I want to say it's the new ball. Cause as you said, He's been a guy who just doesn't really, like, yes, he gets a lot of fouls, but that's because he's genuinely fouled a lot, especially, like, he's gotten a lot better at drawing fouls when he's driving to the rim, but they're, like, legitimate fouls, not, like, you know, wrap my arm around your arm and then I get calls. But this, like, 25.3% or 25.3 three-point percentage, that's really striking because Bradley Beal's always been just a sharpshooter, one of the best shooters in the league easily. And for him to be shooting this poorly, I want to say it's the new ball because I don't really have another explanation. Yeah, I mean,
1: you see, like, the FIBA rules when they use the new FIBA ball in in the Olympics, the the NBA players had to struggle from the three-point line.
0: Yeah, and I think also, like, obviously, I think, like, I think that number is going to go up as the season progresses. I think he's going to end the year, like, maybe around that 35, 36 range just because, like, you know, you're, you're not going to really get the number that much higher when you start out this poorly. It's kind of like your grades, you know, like if you start the year with like a C minus and you get straight A's, you're only going to get that to like a B plus. You can't get that to an A, really. Um, but yeah, I think that Bradley Beal, he's going to pick it up. But I think maybe it could also just be a slump and a mentality thing, you know, like when you get into that slump, it just sort of is a negative feedback loop and it just gets worse and worse. But I'm sure he'll figure it out, though. Yeah, because- I think
1: there's another side to it. Oh, I'd love I th-
0: to
1: hear it. I, th- I think there could be something with a-, a lack of a true point guard for him.
0: Mm.
1: I think okay. since, I mean, obviously there was that one year, which would disprove my argument, where John Wall was injured and he didn't have a true point guard and he went off. Um, aside from that year, he's always had a, a real point guard and John Wall or Russell Westbrook, like an all-star point guard who is going to get you an open look every night multiple multiple looks every night. Um, and now not having a guy like, that, I mean, he has Spencer Dinwiddie who's a great point guard, but he's not going to command the same attention that the John wall or a Russell Westbrook. Would.
0: I disagree with that, to be honest, because I think that Bradley Beal's always been a guy who, you know, the two seasons where John wall was out, like he was still balling. And I think he knows how to get fine shots for himself and he's one of the best shot creators in the whole league. And it's not like he has no point guard. Like, as you said, Spencer Dinwiddie is a very good point guard. And he's averaging like five assists per game. And this is, a, this is a Warriors, or I mean, sorry, Wizards team that has a lot of ball movement. So I think that he gets a lot of good looks. He's just not making them. And so that's why I point to the ball or some sort of mentality slump thing as the potential cause of this. Because I don't think it's like anything to do with the actual game plan itself.
1: OK, that's right. And then also to add on to the Wizards struggles, they've lost nine of their last 14 games. So do you credit that to the slump that, that Bradley Beal's having or something else?
0: I mean, yeah, I think it's like a more, like a team wide slump. I think, though, that like certainly when your star player is playing poorly, it's not going to help. Um, but I mean, it's hard to say why they've been struggling this much. Maybe I think teams are just sort of figuring them out, you know, like they came out super hot and then teams are like, oh, shoot. The Wizards are a team we have to start paying attention to. You know, they they were the one seed at one point for, like, oh, a couple weeks. And so now I think this is normal that teams are going to start figuring out how they play. It's, now it's going to be important to see how the Wizards bounce back. Are they going to be able to make the necessary changes and remain a playoff contender? Or are they just going to, like, keep just or not make the right moves and just keep losing? Mm-hmm. Do you have any other thoughts on, on the no, Wizards? I no,
1: think, I think it's a little bit of teams having to now pay attention to them, like being like, oh, you guys, we actually have to play seriously tonight, like going into a game. Like maybe in the beginning of the season, if you were a team like the Bulls or the Nets, you'd go, okay, we're playing the Wizards tonight. It's not like an easy day, but it's not a hard day. And then the the Wizards would surprise you, you know? Yeah, I don't think – they're not catching teams off guard like
0: that. Yeah, and also, I mean, Montrez is not playing at like – an MVP level that like he when you started the year playing as like an MVP level, like he was up there in the betting odds to win MVP. And now he's sort of returned back to normal. Like his past few games, he's averaging like single digits in a lot of these. So I think like it's it's sort of a slump across the board. Um, but it's gonna be interesting to see how they sort of try and figure this out.
1: Mm. Yeah, so um moving on from there. There's a, a crazy report from the Athletic that the Lakers and Knicks are teams that are both interested in trading for Ben Simmons. So, what are your thoughts on a potential Ben Simmons on the Lakers first, and then Ben Simmons on the Knicks?
0: For okay, so for let's start with the Knicks because we talk about the Lakers a lot. So, yeah. the Knicks have been really struggling. They're one to six in their past seven games. Julius Randle, Evan Fournier, these guys look really disappointing. Um, not looking like their former self. I mean, not looking like... Alec Burks is also looking disappointing in the starting lineup. I, I wanted to say that, that he doesn't look like I, he's I any better than Kemba. I agree. I was, I was watching the game against the Bucks and they just looked so flat as a team. Um, it just got just completely demolished at home. And so I think Ben Simmons would certainly help this team a lot in terms of just injecting some talent. And you would have a true point guard, which this team sort of lacks. Obviously, it doesn't help the shooting aspect, which this is not a great shooting team. Um, but I don't know what sort of sort of package the Knicks could send. Would they send Julius Randle? Would they have to send, like, a bunch of the young guys? Because I would not give up a guy like R.J. Barrett for Ben Simmons.
1: No, I would, I would not either.
0: If you're giving up, like, your sort of periphery young guys, like your Emmanuel Quicklys, your Mitchell Robinson's, these guys of this caliber – then I could see a deal working, but like I think R.J. Barrett is untouchable. I'm not trading him. If it's like you know Obi Toppin and Mitchell Robinson and like a salary filler guy, like uh, I don't really know who else, but you know that that is a deal that I could actually see going through, and I would like that fit. Um, and then in terms of how he would fit in the Lakers, so I think that obviously on paper just like the Lakers with Ben Simmons is a nightmare in terms of shooting. Like, holy, the rim would be crying out for help for the amount of bricks that'd be thrown up on a nightly basis. But I think that if this is a move for like moving Russell Westbrook for Ben Simmons, maybe, but I just like, I just no. don't know. Don't
1: why? What's the point? You're just trading one guy who is hard to fit into this team for another guy who's hard to fit into this team. Uh, I, I want to start with, Looking at um, the Knicks, though, is I think you'd probably throw something a package together, like Evan Fournier. Uh, he's tr- you can trade him starting actually tomorrow. So you throw out Evan Fournier, Alec Burks, Emmanuel quickly in like two first rounders or like a first round pick for Ben Simmons, and then you have then you have a true point guard. Then you have real defense, and you can probably put Kemba back in if you have Ben Simmons, because you have a guy who's like instant defense lockdown. I don't know
0: what, so, I think about
1: that. but I I don't I, I don't know if it actually works because the trade finder won't let me trade Evan Fournier yet because I can't trade him until tomorrow. Um, but
0: sorry, who else did you say in the package on my mind? Just like like Evan
1: Fournier, Alec Burks, and Emmanuel quickly.
0: The only thing with that is like. I'm pretty sure the Sixers can get a better deal than that. You know, they're like, okay, cool. The only really enticing part of that deal for me, if I'm the Sixers is Emmanuel quickly. Uh, I think so, Evan Fournier would also be solid for them as a shooter. Solid, but like there's a, they have a lot of talent on the, on the Sixers side. So they want, and I'm pretty sure they want like a top 25 player in return. That's, that's the reports I've been reading. And so they're not going to get that. And so I think, Imagine, like, I think the Pacers, which was another team that was interested, they could put together a better package for Ben Simmons than the Knicks. So I think it's going to be hard in terms of making a, a competitive package without giving up too much. So I think that's the big challenge for these teams like the Lakers and the Knicks who want the talent of Ben Simmons but don't have that much to give up.
1: So Well, the Lakers literally have zero to give up. Moving to the Lakers – I don't know how the Lakers are even trade conversations with the Sixers. Their their problems aren't coming from it. Their their problems aren't Russell
0: Westbrook. And like. What we need is less shooting, actually. That's what we need. Less shooting.
1: No, I actually didn't want to do too much talk on this today because, you know, we have Lakers talk every time. But. I do not think the problem is Russell Westbrook. I think the problem is Anthony Davis. We saw last night the Lakers played against the Magic. And obviously, granted, this is the worst team in the entire NBA aside from the Pistons. Um, but the Lakers were in absolute control of this game, had a 20-point, like, we're up by 20 points, like, midway through the fourth quarter, and they kind of just cruised to the victory. The margin didn't show how much they were in dom- dominating this game. And guess who didn't play? Anthony Davis. When LeBron sits out, and it's AD and Russ, like they can try to like keep it close with a team like this. But oftentimes you find yourself in a position where you d- you're down by five points with three minutes left in the game. You really have an uphill battle. But Lakers were on cruise control the entire game, how it should be. Even though LeBron got a triple-double, he wasn't the only one giving good production tonight. And, and I just I- want to make it I wanna I- make it very clear that like Anthony Davis, if you put him in there instead of Braun, I honestly don't know you could have had the same outlook and Anthony Davis just needs to step it up he's better than what we're seeing production wise and his shot attempts where he's taking shots in the floor it's pretty ridiculous like these aren't good shot attempts and he needs to be more aggressive
0: i agree and we could talk about a disney all day <laughs> um and the lakers but let's move on actually because i think we covered this ben simmons topic sufficiently i just kind of want to see him play again you know like i can't be the only one who's like like I I sort of have these fond memories of Ben Simmons like you know this all defensive team player like terrific point guard like really dominant uh, on the defensive end and like really like a good player on the offensive end too
1: yeah I do want to see him play
0: yeah I'm excited and I know he was disappointed last year but come on man let's let's go you know like when he makes it makes like national news so like
1: (laughs) yeah it's like you you can't overestimate him like the Sixers are, but you also don't want to underestimate him like a lot of the media and a lot of people just in general are doing.
0: Yeah, he's not a role player. He's a, This guy, is a, he has the potential to be a star in the right years, you know? And he has mm-hmm. been all star. But yeah, let's, let's talk about the last team today. Let's talk about the Nets, who have been very disappointing uh, as a team. Obviously, no Kyrie Irving, but still we expected them to be really, really good just due to the amount of talent on this team. So, KD has been putting up crazy minutes, but also crazy numbers, really putting this team on his back. Uh, We talked about how disappointing James Harden has been. So, do you think KD can carry this team the entire season and postseason, or do the Nets have to switch things up?
1: Honestly, I'm a believer the Nets are going to need some more help. And, look, you saw, you've seen so far how much they need Tyree. Like, Tyree is truly what, I think the glue that holds this team together a little bit because he t- alleviates the load from KD and obviously James Harden doesn't look like himself. So that puts all, all of the load on Kevin Durant when Kyrie Irving is, isn't on the team. And it, you're seeing the wear on his body a little bit because he sat out a game or two already. Like he's just starting to set out games more often. And, you know, we're talking about this guy's an Iron Man, but you can't forget that he, did just come back from an injury, a, a massive Achilles injury like almost a year ago. And do you, do you know he's playing the most minutes per game he's played since his MVP season when he was 25? Yeah, that's actually ridiculous. He's putting up almost 40. I think he's actually putting up 40 minutes per game because that's the only way they're going to win games is if he's playing 40 minutes. And do you know what happened after his MVP season when he played 40 minutes per game? He was out for the next entire season with any injury. Yeah, I don't want to see Kevin Durant have any more issues. He's he's an older guy. Obviously, he's a guy who has not historically gotten a ton of injuries, but he has had a few injuries in his career. And I don't want to see KD off the floor because he had to carry this team because James Harden wasn't putting in his work and Kyrie wasn't there. I, that's the last thing I want to see for the NBA is another star go down. Um I think can't do I think he can carry this team to the through the season and postseason? Yes. But at what cost is the question? And I think the cost is probably like a year or two off his NBA career.
0: Yeah, I agree with that too. I think this is not good for his longevity, but he he could definitely do it. I just want to talk about the rest of the team really quick because coming into the season, we have pretty high expectations and everyone has been so disappointing. No offense, actually full offense, because some of these guys have been terrible. Paul Millsap. Blake Griffin, this guy's awful. This guy's averaging three points. Blake Griffin out of the rotation, looking like the guy in Detroit that everyone called washed up. You know, Joe Harris out with an injury. He wasn't even looking that good. Bruce Brown, you know, this is your opportunity, bro. Step up. And he's averaging seven points. Patty Mills has been serviceable. Lamarcus Aldridge has been pretty good. And we've talked about how disappointing James Harden is, but like, where is Kevin Durant's help? It's just basically all him. And it's disappointing to see because on paper, this should be a much better team. And it just really goes to show how necessary Kyrie is to this team. I thought he was like a luxury that they had. Oh, cool. You have a top five point guard in your back pocket, but you don't really need him because you have two top five scores in the league on your team. But no, apparently they need Kyrie. And I think if Kyrie comes back, a lot of the load is going to be alleviated off KD and this team is going to look much better it's just a question of when you know like when i
1: don't think only that but i think kyrie's going to elevate these guys just like or like you see like a Blake Griffin who seems washed up and you see a Paul Millsap i think honestly kyrie irving was the one who made those guys look better
0: i actually i don't know about that cuz kyrie is not really much of a facilitator he's more, just more of a scorer you know yeah but
1: he's he he commands a, a certain amount of attention and Obviously, James Harden That's does command attention.
0: attention though. <laughs> you know, no,
1: like- I mean, like, on the, I mean, I'm talking about solely on the floor when he's on the floor, he commands a certain amount of attention. And when you have three guys on the floor who command all of your attention, that leaves the other two guys to get free, easy buckets.
0: Fair enough. I just think, like, you know, yeah, th- that could certainly work. I just want to see Kyrie back before, like. If I, it's not well, going to
1: happen. I think he, he's going to have to get traded if something's going to happen, and I don't know that that's happening.
0: I don't know. I think I think I will see Kyrie play this season. I think so. Even, whether that's because hmm. of changes to the uh, vaccination mandates or because he just, like, folds and decides to get vaccinated or whatever. Um, You know, I think we're going to see Kyrie Irving on a basketball court this year.
1: Do you think we'll see him in a different uniform if things don't
0: change? No, I think that if, like, I don't know. Because – you know Kyrie when when you had Kyrie James Harden and KD play last season that was easily the best looking team in the league you know it just they couldn't stay healthy and so I think the Nets want to do whatever possible to see that happen because that's a championship contender and a championship favorite even if those three can get in the court together and I guess maybe not anymore now that James Harden looks like is like a like a washed out version of his former self but you know, if he can step it up, then definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good place to call for this episode. Definitely. Um, yeah. so thank you all so much for listening. Uh, I think we'll we'll get another episode before the holidays. So this is not the holiday episode yet. But happy holidays <laughs> to everyone who is celebrating. Um, and thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Take care. Peace. Bye bye.